Wrap your Bibles, and we're going to dive in this morning. Uh, you always try to do, as a pastor, you try to do something a little bit more difficult at the beginning of December uh, when people haven't eaten too many cookies at that point, um, so we can get ahead of it. Uh, we're in Genesis chapter 2 this morning, uh, and I am going to share with you, um, what am I going to share with you this morning? Uh, well, the book of Genesis, let me pray for us first. We need to pray uh, as we dive in this morning. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the blessing of your word. God, we ask that you give us great insight and understanding. Help us to see um, the gift of your son in the midst of this life and the purpose of him coming. Uh, God, help us to rejoice. Help us to uh, walk faithfully with you, and find our place before you, um, not above you. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in the book of Genesis this morning. It's Christmas time where we celebrate the birth of Christ. Genesis is a book of beginnings, beginnings. And as you go through the book of Genesis, you can find all these firsts because it's the first part of history. Uh, the beginnings of the heaven and earth, days, earth, stars, sun, moon, animals, people, Abraham, a special people. But also we find the firsts of sin, sin, and of the gospel. And so we want to look at that this morning as we are um, considering Christ and why he has come. Uh, we begin to celebrate the birth of Christ. And as we look at these two important firsts, we realize that that's the reason Jesus came. Uh, we realize that it's hard for us to get our head around that Jesus came. Most of us are very familiar with the story. Uh, we say, why are we celebrating at Christmas time? The birth of Christ. And why are we so excited because of who he is, what he came to do? And most of all for us, uh, that he became uh, the savior of the world and more importantly to us, our savior. Uh, that he's our Savior, that he died for our sins. Today we're going to walk through these firsts, the first sin and the first gospel, and we're going to know our desperate state, uh, our desperate state, uh, the plan that God had in his son Jesus, and ultimately the defeat of Satan, uh, this defeat both being his defeat, Jesus defeating Satan, but also that we would be part of that victory as well. Um, and this is the reason we rejoice this morning. So um, we're in Genesis chapter 2. I want to read a portion, and then we'll look, keep plowing through, and eventually we're going to get to the end. Hopefully it won't be too long, but I cannot promise you anything this morning. Um, I'm just a mere man. Um, we're going to start in Genesis chapter uh, 2. And we're looking at verses 8 and 9, then skipping down through verse 15 through 17. And what we see here is a first, a restrictive command of God. And when I say restrictive, I mean uh, that he's not telling us to do something so much as he's telling us not to do something. Um, most of you know this because you had a mom and dad, and they would tell you certain things that you are not to do. Don't touch the stove. Uh, that, that's a simple one to learn, isn't it? Because when they're not around and you go, hey, I'm going to touch the stove. I'm going to show them 
oh, stove hot. <laughs> I had a, a niece, and, and they grew up in, they were in Oregon, and they, the stove's always going. And she would say, stove hot, burn Deborah. <laughs> very simple, very simple. Um, but li- listen to this, listen to this. Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Uh, we look down at it, it says, and, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and, and there he put man uh, whom he, he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God uh, made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life uh, was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Skipping down to verse 15. Um, verse 15 says this, and the Lord God uh, took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it uh, of it, you will surely die. Um, there you have it right there. The first restrictive command of God. I want to point out something. We'll get back to it. I just, while we're here, um, it says the Lord God, the Lord God. And if you look at, uh, these first few chapters here, uh, when God is doing what he's doing, it says the Lord God. Uh, You saw it a couple of times in here. We'll come back to that. Okay. But what you see here is, um, these two trees that are, uh, brought out, um, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the tree of life. And the restrictive command is what? Don't eat, don't eat of this one tree. In fact, you can eat of everything else, but don't eat of this tree. It's a restrictive command. Is that one, right? Um, this is where we have problems. It's not really all that... Uh, it's not really all that complicated. It's one tree. It wasn't 14 trees. It wasn't like the leaf project or anything like that, right? It didn't, you know, a compound pinnate is the one you cannot eat from, but everything else you'll, it's not that. It's just one tree. That one right there. Don't eat from that tree. If you do, you will surely die. That's the word of God right there. Uh, the Lord God said this, okay? And so, uh, that is the one restrictive command. We skip over to chapter three. Chapter three. There's much more we could talk about, obviously, and we could we could really like do a lot of work, but we're not going to. We're we're going to continue on. Look at this uh, first sin and first gospel. Verse uh, chapter three, verse one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Once again, Lord God had made again. Um, He said to the woman, the serpent said to the woman, he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat uh, from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. How far do I want to go here? Uh, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Uh, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of 
uh, uh, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Hmm. So as you look at this, we see the first temptation, temptation. And it's kind of funny because when you think of uh, kids growing up, they have first days of school, they have first bikes, they have first vacations and first time flying, like you have all these firsts. And so they're naive to what will happen. They're naive to that. And uh, even as you think of Eve, know this, that she'd never been tempted before. And so this was the first temptation. And as she, she is spoken to, and some of you get hung up and we get hung up on the idea of the serpent speaking, I just want to tell you there's a couple other places where animals are speaking in the scriptures, and I just want to remind you that this is um, the early days of the scriptures, the early days of humanity, and Satan is extremely powerful, and so you get this picture of him embodying the serpent, uh, prompting the serpent. I don't know how all that works. It doesn't say. He speaks through the serpent, embodying uh, him, And he says something about God. He says something about the creator. Once again, I want to point out to you in verse 1, it says, the Lord God made, had made, okay? And then the serpent is speaking, and he says, did God actually say that? He doesn't say the Lord God. He says, did God actually say that? Did Did he really say that? You realize it's a questioning. You, you know, I don't know how many of you have ever been in court before. I won't ask why. Um, but maybe on the stand and you, you've talked to a lawyer. I don't think we have any lawyers here today. If we did, I'm sorry to talk bad about you. Like the serpent. Um, uh, the, the serpent asks questions. And what does he, what does he do? He's questioning. Did he, did he really say that? Did that really happen? And, you know, there's this question over and over again. And so if you get asked the same question over and over again, sometimes you go, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe I don't remember it as well as I thought. Um, did God really say that? Did he actually say that? He did. He did. We just read it, chapter 2. He did say that. Um, it's his word. And, and, this comes into play. The Lord God said something. And now you get the question when somebody else, the serpent, says, did he say it? He's questioning whether that word is true that the Lord God said. Um, And Eve's response was interesting. She doesn't ignore the serpent. She doesn't run from the serpent. But she engages the serpent. And the the woman said, verse uh, 2, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of uh, of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. Where'd that come from? I think Eve's head is where it came from, right? Uh, We don't have any record of God saying, don't touch it. Eve is saying, I got some other crazy ideas about what he wanted us to do. Don't even touch it. Um, She adds, she adds to the words of God. 
you, you see this in this back and forth. And now let's talk about the Lord God uh, thing that I mentioned earlier. These two words, Lord and God, come together as Yahweh and Elohim. Yahweh being the word or the name of God that reflects his promises to his people, that, that he is reaching out and he is loving and kind and wants and has relationship with his people, Yahweh. The second one, Elohim, uh, pictures his majesty, his strength, his power, his sovereignty. So the, the powerful God, Elohim, and also the personal God, as a relationship, it says the Lord God. In verse uh, 1, what does it say? Did God, did God. No more personal God there. The serpent's saying, oh, did powerful God? You know, he, he's powerful, but like, did he really say? Now we're, we're trying to get away from, get away from this idea of relationship with God. And now just look at him as a powerful God that really has no relationship or care uh, for his people. Maybe a a minor point, but I want to point this out that the serpent is desiring Eve and Adam to question the goodness and the character of God. Is God good? Is God good? Is is it good for you to be in relationship with God? And does God tell the truth? Is he a a moral character that is magnificent? This is what the serpent was going for in Eve and by way of relationship in Adam as well. The serpent uh, goes on to say, Uh, In verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. You will not surely die. Now, um, this is kind of like the news right now, right? (laughs) You will surely die. You will surely not die. Who am I going to listen to? You have the Lord God. You have the speaking serpent. Where did you come from, by the way? The speaking serpent. You know, how'd you learn to talk like that? None of the other animals are talking. Like, what, who, who am I going to listen to here? There's, there's, there's two pieces. You will not surely die. In, in verse 4, it goes on. He says, you will not surely die. Verse 5, for God knows that when you eat of, of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The serpent's uh, accusation is, first of all, God's lying you will not surely die. And, and God is like fearful of you becoming like him. God's afraid that you're going to get the good stuff that he has. So that's why he told you not to eat of that tree. He's really, he, he's not good. And he doesn't have the character that you should obey him. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. Uh, you'll be gods. Um, so the serpent is helping Eve to question God's words, to add to God's words, and to call God a liar. Um, obviously, that sounds crazy coming out of my mouth, and it should. But this is what Satan's desire. And I'll, 
I hope you get this. This is what temptation is for us today, right now. These are the things questioning the goodness and the character of God. Is God really good? Will you surely die? Is he, does this, the things that we've read in his word, are they really true? You know, God just doesn't want you to have what he has. There's so much more to this life if you just abandoned God and did what you wanted to do. He doesn't want you to be like him. The questions of God's goodness and his character. We come to verse 6, the first sin. Okay? Um, We see the first restrictive uh, command. We see the first temptation. Now we see the first sin. Verse verse 6 says this. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit of its fruit and ate and she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Verse 7, then the eyes of both were opened And they knew uh, that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. This is the first sin. It doesn't seem like much. It doesn't seem like much at all. This first sin. I want to remind you that simple command. Simple. You can do it. Eat from any of these trees. Anything in here is good, except for that one. It's simple. It wasn't complicated. There was no math involved. You you didn't have to have the right grammar on this one. It's just that tree. Don't eat. Got it. But what does it say? As as she looked upon it, it, it really describes what all sin is, spoken of in 1 John as well. It's this idea that as she saw it, she saw that it was good for food, delight. It was delightful to the eyes. And she desired it to make her wise. And I would say this. So Eve was tempted. She heard God's words, his commands, his command, command. And then he heard Satan's temptation, the serpent's temptation. It's not true. And what Eve did was she determined what was good for herself, and I would even say for her husband. It doesn't talk much about Adam. He gets some bad press, and it's rightly given. Even in the book of Romans, we're going to get to that 2023 or something like that. Um, it's going to be a while. So, uh, but anyways, this idea of the sin of Adam, the sin of Adam. And what was it? First of all, Eve looked upon this and she determined these two ideas of who's right and who's wrong. She didn't really care about what was right and wrong. She cared about what was right for herself, and for her husband. And I think that Adam made those same choices. He said, oh, um, Eve saying to eat of this fruit, 
the fruit we're not supposed to. I heard God say that earlier, the Lord God. And, you know, I don't know how much he heard of this serpent conversation or whatever, but you, you, you see that Adam is making the same determination. He's saying, I will go with my wife and her idea on this. I will not obey God. You see this, he says, that uh, the woman had determined what was good for herself and for her husband. And in so doing, she rejected the goodness of God in his character. She rejected God, what he had said in his words and his commands to her and to them. And this is what we do when we sin. We say, I know what you said, God. I, I know what you said. I understand the command. But I've decided that I've got a better idea on what's good for me and most of us here for me and my family. I've got a better idea than you. Sin for Eve, sin for Adam, sin for Kevin and the rest of us. Sin is the rejection of God's rightful place. And I would say it also, and my rightful place before God. You see, what Eve did, what Adam did, is they elevated themselves as the one who decides what happens. Not God, but I am above God. He had an idea, I had a better idea. And my idea for myself is not what God said. And I want to tell you, that's what we do all the time when we sin. All the time. If you're a drunkard, if you get drunk, you're saying, I got a better idea. I know what you've said in your word, God, but I have a better idea. If you choose to uh, let your language fly and dishonor the Lord, you're saying, God, I know what your word says. I know my speech is to be glorifying to you. But I got a better idea. When you and your pride, you see people as, as lower than you and that you are kind of the king of the world, you're saying, God, I know you've called me to be a humble servant, but I have a better idea. And I don't need to listen to you, God. You've rejected your place, but you've also rejected his place. God is to be above all. The Lord God. Well, that's what happened. Uh, and now we see the repercussions, these first repercussions for sin, and they are dramatic. Skip down to verse 7. Uh, and it says, then, then the eyes of both were opened, and they uh, knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Verse 8 and, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. I'll just stop there, but I, I want to get this. Um, in rapid succession, shame, guilt, fear. Shame, guilt, fear. This is what happens when we sin. This is what happened to them. This is what happened. First of all, uh, 
tells us earlier, uh, as we, we see their creation, it says that they were naked and unashamed. And now, in verse 7, it says their eyes were both open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves and made them for themselves. Why? Because they were now ashamed. Their eyes were open. It's a fascinating thing that most of the time when we say uh, something restrictive, something that restricts us, God says, don't touch that or don't eat of that. I did the Eve thing, right? Uh, um, don't eat of that. We say, well, why not? Why not? It must be really good if you're trying to keep it from me. It's like when parents eat ice cream after their kid goes to bed, Right? Guilty, you know, shame came all over you in the moments. Um, but the first thing, they were naked and ashamed. They were naked and unashamed. Now they're naked and ashamed. They felt the self-consciousness of who they were. Why? Because they had sinned. As you move on, you see guilt in verse 8. Um, they heard the sound of the Lord God. Remember, we're back to Lord God. Walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves. Why? Because they were guilty. They were guilty. They were running from the law. They used to, you know, prior to this, they felt great about their relationship with God, right? He was the one who created them, gave, us, gave them all this great stuff and took care of all their needs. I got it all. I got it all. And now they're hiding from God, which is sort of funny, isn't it? Where do you hide from God? Where do you go? That's what the psalm says, right? Where do you go? But their guilt drove them to hide themselves. And then um, as they come in conversation, verse 9, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. I was afraid. Has anything good come out of this great fruit that she loved so much and was going to be so good for her and it was a better idea than God had? No, nothing. You have shame, guilt, fear. And as you go on, you say, uh, verse 12, it says, uh, the man said, this is God questioning. He says, the man's response was, the man said, the woman you gave to be with me she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. God, you shouldn't have given me that woman. <laughs> it wasn't just the woman's fault, right? It was God's fault for giving me the woman. You, you look at this, and it, it, it's, it's wild. And la later on, you're, you're going to see, you see also that, so Adam blamed the wife or the God, God for giving him the wife and Eve blamed the serpent and there's all these blaming. of. But I, I want to tell you that Adam and Eve, especially Adam, were willing participants to Satan's plan. When we sin, we're willing participants to Satan's plan. Let me say something real fast here. Um... um What's going on here is, and maybe you've said this or thought this, the devil made me do it. 
That's true. That's true. When your temptation comes, there's this strong desire. We do have an enemy. We do have an enemy, and he, he's, he's always on duty. And, you know, there's enemy has servants as well, and like the demons, and there's, there's stuff going on. This world is under his control. And so when bad stuff happens, the devil made me do it. Satan made me do it. It's his fault. I want to tell you that uh, it's important for we, us to understand that we have an enemy. It's not really even our enemy. It's God's enemy. But because we're God's, his creation, is an enemy of us too. Okay? But if you sin, you are a willing participant to Satan's plan. You're working with him. Think about that. As we go on in the book of Romans in the uh, months to come, we will see the repercussions of sin, but we will also see the guilt in mankind for following along with the enemy's plan. And so there is a sense where you can blame the serpent, blame, the, blame Satan, blame the devil, blame your wife. But you're a willing participant when you give in willing participant. Well, it continues to just, what you see here, you could, the list goes on of the bad repercussions from sin. Uh, you, you see this immediately, this separation from God and his creation. They're hiding and uh, God is looking for them. He's seeking them. And, and more importantly, really not even found so much in this passage, but in the pages to come, you will see how death plays out, not just in the life of Adam and Eve, which it totally does, but in the whole world being touched by sin. Because of Adam's sin, the whole world, death is uh, coming upon them. You see more sin. You see the decay of any, everything and the inability of us to live a sinless life. In the New Testament, it reiterates a couple of times, Paul says, we're dead in our sins. We picture when it says, you will surely die, that one would drop dead right there. But death enters the person. Death enters the world. Death enters everything because of this one sin. We, we move on as we see these repercussions. We see specific curses to the serpent. As you look down, verse 15, um, actually verse 14, it says, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field, on your belly, you shall go, and the dust uh, you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity uh, between you and the woman, uh, and between your offspring and her offspring. You shall bruise; uh, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. The serpent. The specific curses. Uh, for, for, first of all, God says. Just greater than all other animals, you'll be cursed. 
Um, just want to tell you that about snakes. Um, no good for anything, right? Um, curse more than all. And on your belly that you shall move and eat dust. The picture is this um, shameful way uh, that is on your belly eating dust. It's not that the serpent eats dust for sustenance. It's just that being down in the dust, you're always eating dust. Um, and knowing Satan being behind this, he describes in verse 16, I'm sorry, verse 15, this, uh, and this being, we're going to come back to this, but he says, I will put enmity between uh, the woman, Eve, and being, uh, and between your offspring and her offspring, speaking of that which is future, he shall bruise your head and you shall uh, bruise his heel. I'm going to come back to that. I'm going to skip over that and come back to that. Then you come to the woman, verse 16. Uh, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, and but he shall rule over you. Um, we could talk a long time about both of those things. Uh, you women know about this who have born children. Um, and the funny thing about being a mom is childbearing is painful, but so is being a mom. Um, and then it, it talks about the child-parent uh, relationship, and then it moves to the, the wife-husband relationship, both of those being touched by sin. And I want to tell you that as uh, it goes from the serpent to the woman, it says your relationships both with your kids, your husband is touched by sin. I won't look for any examples of that here this morning or hear testimonies, but we know that to be true. And then it turns to Adam, <clears throat> verse 17. And, and to Adam, he said, uh, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground uh, because of you, in pain you shall eat all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat of bread uh, till you return to the ground from which you are taken. Uh, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. What you see here, you have the serpent, now the, wo the woman, now Adam. Um, and he says, I, I want to make this really clear. I joked earlier about this. This is very important. You listen to your wife. I, I know that sounds funny as it comes out. You go, uh, some of your dumber guys here, you're going, okay, note to self, don't listen to my wife. Got it. It's command of God. Uh, there's bad stuff happens when you listen to your wife. I want to tell you, I want to tell you, I want to be very clear on this. That's true. If your wife is rejecting the word of God, if your wife rejects the word of God and you go, well, she wanted me to, you know, she said that's what we should do. I want to tell you, a godly wife should be listened to over and over and over again. But if your wife is rejecting the word of God, she is to be corrected. That's not what God said. That's not what God said. And she's not to be gone along with. 
Adam uh, experienced these curses because he listened to his wife who had rejected God. And you see his, uh, the things that, he says the ground's curse, painful labor, and hard life. This is what happens. And, and I, I want you all to remember, when you see difficult things in this life, think back to this day. <laughs> think back to it and go, yeah, this is the repercussions of sin. Life is not easy. It's not easy. Growing old is not easy. Making a living is not easy. Raising kids is not easy. Living in this world, making decisions is not easy. Why? Because of sin. Let's get back to verse 15. Now, we want to look at this first gospel. Uh, Some of you know this as the Proto-Evangelion. If you know that word, don't ever say it. No one knows what it means. It's Greek, sometimes Latin, okay? Um, Not impressed at how smart you are? Say it's the first gospel, okay? It's the first gospel because we speak English because we live in America. First gospel. And, and what you hear is just some very simple things about this gospel that is to come. And, and one pastor was referring to this as God even trash-talking Satan. I don't know if I'd say it that way. It was reminding him that he is in charge and there's a day coming for Satan. And what is this? He says, and to you serpent, really behind serpent, Satan, verse 15 I will put enmity or this idea of hatred or active war between you and the woman. You and the woman. And and then he goes on uh, further down the road and he says, and between your offspring and her offspring. This is going to go on for generations. And as uh, we get this written by Moses, God-inspired word, we see this and we realize that that offspring that is to come is Jesus. And then we get this very uh, skeletal picture, even somewhat clouded of the future. It says at the end of verse 15, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In the ESV that I'm reading from, it says bruise, bruise. Bruise your head, bruise his heel. Um, This word, um, like many Hebrew words, has about six different words, English words, that it can be used. And the context dictates what word should be used. I want to tell you that both of those words, um, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Those two words, bruise, are the same word. And some translations have... uh, this idea of crush your head and bruise your heel. And there's a reason for that. Uh, I'm going to get to that in a moment. But know this, that there's two different portions of the body. Um, It's the idea of crack your skull, crack your skull, the idea of smack, bruise on the brain, bleeding on the brain, okay, or uh, a bruise on the ankle, uh, those of you who have played basketball, you know that that's a favorite thing to do, right? The twist of the ankle, the bruise of the ankle. And you limp around for a while. Um, the idea of a headshot is 
can be fatal, right? This is the picture here. And, and for one, you have the head, one, you have the heel. And the point here being from God to the serpent, to Satan, he's coming for your head. You may hurt the offspring, but it will come for the head for you. I want to give you a few other verses here. Uh, hopefully, and, and the, the picture here is offspring against offspring. This is what's going to come in the future. And I want to tell you that in some ways, this battle continues today. It continues. Do you see the work of Satan in the world? Do you see things happening right now? Maybe even in your own home. And you realize and you go, man, it's just so difficult to live. And, and how do we uh, push evil away? And how does this happen? And how can we walk with God? Offspring against offspring. You flip over to Isaiah 53, verse 5. Isaiah 53. Some of you know uh, kind of where I'm going with this, and it's super exciting. Isaiah 53. And as you think of Isaiah 53, there's a, a bunch of things about Jesus, the one who is um, prophesied about at this point. But what does it say? What is going to happen in this one prophesied about? Verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that has brought us peace and with his wounds, we are healed. That's happening. That bruising of the heel, that hurting of the offspring, that war that is engaged, that is what is happening as is foretold here. But now, I want you to get this. Romans chapter 16. There's another one in 1 John, but I want to look at the one in Romans chapter 16. Because we're in the book of Romans, coming back to it in the first of the year. This is one of the last passages, uh, Romans chapter 16, the last chapter, and there's a lot of like back and forth, uh, talking about people, sending greetings, so on and so forth, but he's tying up the letter. And what does God say through his servant Paul to the church at Rome as he's tying up the letter? It's kind of like, here, uh, remember this as we close our time. Remember this, as you go out into wicked Rome and try to be, walk faithfully with God. Verse 20, 16 verse 20. He says, the, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. That's a great way to end a book. Sign off on that sincerely, Kevin. Oh, and by the way, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I want you to get this because there's, the, there's this purpose, long-term plan of God. What is going to happen through his son Jesus in us, in this world? What is going to happen? He's going to crush Satan. He's, he's had his day. His day will come to an end and he will be crushed. Turn over to Revelation chapter 22. 
How's that for start to finish, huh? 22 verse 15. I'm sorry, 22 uh, verses 1 through 5. I threw myself off there. <clears throat> 22 verses 1 through 5. And, and if you could just picture this, Satan's already dealt with at this point. He's dealt with. He's done. He's over. He's crushed. So what happens now? So what happens now? I'll just read it. There's a lot here, obviously. Verse 22, verse 1. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as a crystal flowing from the throne of God and of of the Lamb. Through the middle of the, the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life. And it's 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the the tree were for healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be on it. And his servants will worship him. His servants will worship him. That's us. We will worship him. And this is what it says, verse 4. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will uh, need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Did you get that? And they, who is they? The servants. It's hard for me to grasp, but this is what happens in the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that somehow the victory that God has over the enemy as he crushes him, that his victory is our victory. And that that somehow what he wins, we become the winner as well. So hard for me to get. Well, let me give you the conclusion here. The conclusion is rejoice. Rejoice because of Jesus. Why did he come? Why did Jesus come? Jesus came to crush him. He came to crush him, not us. He didn't come to crush us. Some of you think you have this picture of God that he's wanting to crush you. I want to tell you that he did send his son Jesus to come and crush someone, and it's Satan. And as we trust in him, as we trust in the Savior, we are not an object of his wrath. We're an object of his mercy. We're not on the losing team because his victory is our victory. And his triumph is our triumph. God, thank you for this amazing, amazing truth story this historical record from the past as well as into the future. And God, as we celebrate the birth of your son in the midst of a troubled world, God, help us to remember that the enemy will be crushed. And God, you're a God of peace, but sometimes in your desired peace is to destroy your enemy, our enemy, that we might reign forever. God, we are not you, 
May we find our rightful place as your servant below you, obeying your word, trusting your word, following you. God, do your work in your church, I pray. Thank you in Jesus' name.